Welcome to this ICAEW Insights in Focus podcast special edition. This podcast is split into two episodes. Here's episode two. Welcome to the ICAEW Insights in Focus podcast. So one of the uh, one of the other interesting things that's coming down the uh, road is what's happening with reporting, and in particular, I'm thinking here about the announcement at COP26 that the International Sustainability Standards Board was going to be established. So, Richard, is this is this going to change everyone's life? Oh, absolutely, yes. I mean, it's it, you know, in the last two years or so, we've seen an absolute explosion in calls for disclosure, not just over climate, but a range, a whole range of issues. And the most significant was definitely the, the establishment of the International Sustainability Standards Board. That That's obviously founded by the um, IFRS Foundation and will sit alongside the IASB. And, and I, I don't want to get into a kind of acronym soup here, but f- for many years, investors have really struggled with at least five sustainability standard setters and a, and a lack of common global baseline, a lack of consistency, a lack of comparability, and, and just, just a malaise, confusion about what's being reported by whom, on what basis, and so on. So the ISSB marks a, a major milestone in a step towards the development of, of that much-needed reporting of information that, that just seem to be of the same quality as the financial information that people, that investors and other stakeholders, of course, can, can really rely on. And I think one of the important aspects of that is is the TCFD, the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures framework at the heart of that, because what's great about the TCFD framework is, I'd say, it's as much a strategy framework as a reporting framework. It really acknowledges that Good reporting is rooted in good practice in an organisation and it has these four categories of strategy, governance, risk and metrics that then can be disclosed. And so I think I think this is a really important step. Richard, you mentioned the acronym SOUP and you, uh, you, you threw in one or two of the uh, uh, well-known ones like TCFD, but you could easily have thrown in IRC and SASB and, and, and others. Most of the world and most of the world economy is SMEs. Yep. How, how important is this development to to that sector of the world economy? Well, it's going to affect these organisations because the organisations that are going to be forced to report mandatory on this are going to need flows of information from their supply chains for this. So if we just think about a net zero carbon report, in order to do that, those reporting companies are going to need information about emissions from the supply chain. They have to include that in order to meet the definitions of net zero. So it's going to, it's going to hit, like regulation is often hits, the small and medium-sized enterprise through its supply chain. So it's, it's not something they should ignore because you either you want to be kind of ready for those requests rather than waiting for them to happen to you and, and then suddenly scrabbling around to try and get the information is to be in that position where you've already got that. And it's only the beginning. Other people are going to be wanting that sort of information too. Yeah, and the good news is that uh, for anyone who wants to know 
how to start this journey. There's lots of material on the ICAW website that you can dip into that will get you started thinking about it. Alison, you wanted to come in. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned, Michael, there the important role the, the SMEs have to play in delivering the green agenda. What about the public sector? That's 45% of the economy. What reporting standards will, will they adopt? You know, how will the work of the ISSB take into account the activities of the public sector? And I think that's a really important development that we'll see coming up in 2022 and how public sector, central government, local government in the UK and across the world, how they will develop their own reporting standards that actually are meaningful and also are consistent with the corporate sector. And of course, it's only the beginning because companies are going to be in in 2022. I'm absolutely certain modern slavery and forced labour are going to become big issues and companies are going to be able to need to tell their, their investors and their regulators what is happening in their supply chain with this. So if you like, I think climate is a sort of a test run and, dare I say, a relatively easy one. Other sorts of information that are going to be required might be might be more taxing and it would be really good to be on the front foot because then you become you can become a preferred supplier. Well, also, you're a trusted organisation. Yeah. And I think that's the role that the accountant plays in actually playing a part in actually delivering the trust in what those finances Absolutely. say. Absolutely. Absolutely. When you, you look at the back end of last year, Edelman produced a report, uh, and the headline for me in that was that investors want the, this information. They, in, the, in the financial markets, it's often called ESG, Environment, Society and Governance, information we might call it sustainable development goals information they want it but they don't trust it and in order for it to be trusted they need those common standards but they need the accountancy profession to give them the confidence that the information that is flowing in from from a business into its disclosures and into the financial markets on which the markets can make decisions is is reliable and trustworthy information and that analogy goes over to the public sector, dare I yeah. say, because Absolutely. if you actually have trust in the information coming out from government about how the finances have been managed, maybe one might then be prepared to pay a bit more tax, which we may need to see in terms of actually recovering the public sector finances. Yeah. So we'll come to that in a minute, Alison. But before we leave this particular topic, Richard, I mean, one of the criticisms that's been levelled against standard setters since time immemorial is that they take forever to produce output. Are we going to see anything from the new Sustainability Standards Board anytime soon? Absolutely. One of the great things that they did was they put together the Technical Readiness Working Group, which was made up basically of the existing five standard setters. And they, they have done an absolutely brilliant job. But they, I believe the, the standard that on climate is out, it will be out for consultation in the spring. The Technical Readiness Working Group has already produced four documents, the general requirements for sustainability disclosure, the climate disclosure prototype, the conceptual guideline and the architecture for standards are already there. Now, they're not saying those are those are for consultation, but the prototypes are already out and the standard will be out for consultation in the spring. So they've hit the ground running and that's down to those, those five standard sets, some of which you mentioned, already providing that input. So I think we're going to see see this happen quickly, which is great news. Put a note in your diary. Out soon. You're listening to the ICAEW Insights in Focus podcast. So, Alison, one of the uh, one of the things I'm very conscious here is that when we talk about uh, changing the world or any of the world's problems, all of this is going to require money. 
And uh, if the ambition that we're hearing from politicians to build back better or whatever description they use is going to be a reality, someone's got to pay for it. So who's going to pick up the bill? <laughs> That's the uh, very difficult question to answer. I think that the um, there's going to be high levels of public debt for some time. And obviously, finance ministers are really trying to target a gradual decline in the debt as a proportion of GDP rather than something more radical. So that's good because obviously it provides capacity for infrastructure renewal and net zero investment programmes, as you just mentioned, around the Build Back Better or the levelling up. But obviously public finances are in a much worse place than they were coming into the pandemic. Um, and they weren't in a great place then, to be honest, leaving us much more vulnerable to the next crisis. We, you know, we really do need to be prepared for something uh, coming along very similar, I would have thought. So some countries are, I suppose it's politically opportune, uh, they're raising taxes, not to pay down debt, but instead to address the growing costs of more people living longer. So you've got more, more money to pay for pensions, welfare, health and social care. But having said that, we are, are politically, I suppose, expecting some headline tax cuts in the, in the UK in the autumn budget in October or November of 2022 because we expect the uh, general election to take place in 23. So that will pause the rise in the overall level of tax for a while at least. But as I said just in, in a minute ago, it's really important that I think we have that trust in the public sector finances in order for, I suppose it's really the contract, the social contract between government and citizens. You know, will, will citizens pay more tax to actually you know, get rid of this debt uh, if, if they don't trust the finances. But anyway, fiscal resilience, I think, is the thing, key thing that's going to come under the spotlight. Uh, you know, how actually uh, countries are managing their balance sheets in pre preparedness for the next pandemic or the next global economic crisis. So in the UK, the Office for Budget Responsibilities Fiscal Sustainability Report is expected in July, and that will report on the strength of the UK's public sector balance sheet. So that's the whole of government uh, finances, not just one aspect of it. And also in the EU, we're seeing the debate um, about new fiscal rules for members of the Eurozone. So that will be an interesting topic, particularly, I think, around conditionality. Um, and actually uh, what monies are used for in, uh, in across the Eurozone. And then if you look to China, that's been closely watched to see how it can deleverage its own property sector, as well as address the very high levels of debt in many of its state-owned firms. So not a fantastic picture, but unfortunately, if we're going to pay for investment, we're going to pay for Build Back Better, someone has to pay for it. But it sounds like it's an area that we should continue to watch very closely. Let's turn now to technology. So David Leifert-Tilly is the ICAW's expert in all things technology. And David, what technology trends should be on our radar for, for chartered accountants in the year ahead? I think it's interesting actually listening to what we've been discussing so far because so many of these things are intricately tied to what technology is going on behind them. So we were just talking, for example, about paying for all of the various ambitious projects that are out there. Um, one of the big trends that we've been watching over the last few years and which is certainly continuing is the kind of modernization of tax administrations. So in the UK, we've been seeing making tax digital rolling out over the last few years. And we've done a couple of uh, studies looking worldwide at equivalents and essentially every country I think is looking to digitalize modernize their tax systems in one way or another some of them are relatively early in that process some quite involved in it 
But this is also something where, you know, we were also talking um, when we were talking about environmental, social uh, reporting that, you know, for smaller organizations, they might be finding that they're needing to supply information for the ones that are subject to that. Same thing for tax. Um, even if, you know, smaller companies are thinking, well, you know, these um, changes in the way that tax is being reported and recorded and the way that it's being administered maybe aren't so relevant to me as a smaller organization. Smaller organizations are often the sources of data for all of these sort of tax modernization systems. So in the UK and other places, we've already seen, for example, the growth of real-time information in payroll, uh, and that's sort of supporting a lot of that real-time taxation uh, work that uh, has been growing in that and in other parts of the economy, and I think that's going to continue to grow. So we're seeing companies as sources of data for a lot of these sort of ambitious programs. And those equally actually have been supporting when we're thinking about pandemic pandemic response. Many tax authorities have found themselves switching from not just being a revenue collecting authority, but actually being a revenue distributing authority as well to putting out whether that's uh, financial support schemes, furlough schemes, things like that. It's often the tax authority that's best placed to do those things. And, and that's going to bring some uh, challenges as well, because we haven't yet seen precisely where some of those distributions are going to end up in terms of fraudulent activity and the like. And that's starting to emerge in various parts of the world now. Oh, yeah. I mean, so many of these schemes were put into place over the course of days or weeks. And so the the priority was getting money out there, supporting the economy in the short term. And that did mean perhaps that there wasn't time to really do a lot of due diligence. Yeah, I mean, I could just add to that. I mean, in, in the UK, particularly at the right at the end of uh, 2021, we saw the publication of central government accounts. As you say, the government departments not used to paying out, but actually paying out business grants. And there's a very high level of fraud expected and a high level of irrecoverability of that debt, which is a really concerning thing. Oh, certainly. And just on the the fraud point, we've also seen since the beginning of the pandemic a real growth in cyber attacks. And that's both in terms of broad, unsophisticated attacks where it's people just trying to get hold of as much communications data and email addresses as possible and send out very broad-based attacks to as many people as possible, but then also to sort of spear phishing and extreme uh, social engineering and extremely targeted attacks. And accountants in particular have been... uh, target of those. And I think that's only going to continue, perhaps even increase. Accountants perhaps not only will be you know, looking in charge of funds and having ability to distribute them, but will also have lots of personal data or business data that's of uh, particular interest to cyber criminals who are looking to either steal it or you know, lock it up and uh, hold it through ransomware. So I think uh, we'll certainly see that that's going to continue. Elsewhere in technology, the we were talking about you know the various data that's being generated to support these reporting goals and el- elsewhere. And we're currently producing somewhere on the order of two hundred quintillion bytes of data each day, which is a just an unfathomable amount of data. And the vast majority of that data is goes completely nowhere and is unanalyzed and untracked. So, uh, data analytics and the ability to um, get hold of data and really understand it and analyze it, I think, is uh, something that's been growing and growing. And I think certainly we've seen, you know, within ICAW, of course, we've uh, had the growth of our data analytics community and our other kind of offerings there. And I think that's something that whenever we're speaking to members, understanding data issues is something that just comes up (laughs) again and again. One of the things we talked about um, quite a lot a few years ago was blockchain. And the promise of blockchain and its applicability seemed to know no bounds. Are we really now starting to see it being used in real-life applications? 
Yes and no. It's certainly that since the... So when we first put out our report on blockchain in the future of accountancy about five years ago, we've gone through a relatively quiet period where there has been, as you say, a lot of promise about the possibilities of blockchain, but not necessarily a lot of that crystallizing into ordinary business as usual applications. We have seen in the last couple of years a real explosion on the interest of cryptocurrencies, related digital assets, the kind of big growth in the market for non-fungible tokens, for example, NFTs has uh, been coming up. I mean, coming to record here on the the tube, you can't but see advertisements for these kinds of things. So there's certainly a lot of, of interest in these as alternative investments. What we haven't seen, I think, is the other side of blockchain. So using it as a pure record-keeping technology, not just about you know digital assets and cryptocurrencies and the sort of where, which is where the technology began. The applicability to other areas hasn't really come to pass in the way that I think many of the really strong advocates for this technology would have hoped. I do think, however, there's still a lot of interesting things here. But at the same time, as well as we're looking at sort of the democratization, the opening up of data. Uh, to support these systems, we are having to contrast with that with the fact that the most popular blockchain systems are still very uneconomical on their energy use, very damaging on their environmental impact. So, you know, it's a bit of a mixed message as far as the sort of future of these technologies goes. So thinking about the knowledge and skills that chartered accountants should be looking to add to their portfolio, obviously quite a lot of the things that we've talked about seem to involve ever-increasing amounts of data. And um, I'm not quite sure how many zeros were on the end of uh, that uh, that particular quintillion or, or, or whatever number it was that you just cited. But I mean, we, we are drowning in data. So how can a chartered accountant get to grips with this? Well, I think one of the important things about data skills is that there's not just one way of engaging with data. There's not just about becoming a data scientist, for example, and doing the collecting, cleaning and analysing of data. That's absolutely one direction that people can specialise in. We've seen a real growth of interest in data analytics related programming languages and uh, coding such as R and Python, for example, over the last few years. But there's also been a big growth in low-code and no-code platforms that allow you to manipulate data without necessarily needing those coding skills. So in things like uh, Microsoft Power BI, for example, has been growing quite a lot in the last few years. And actually, you shouldn't underestimate what you can even do in the classics like Excel. There's quite a lot of it. So there are other ways of getting involved in data, whether that is about thinking about data protection, of course, that's been a really important theme over the last few years. So being uh, somebody who's sort of advocating for data protection and being a steward of data. Uh, It's also about taking what that analysis has been done and then presenting and communicating that, relating that to audiences in a way that is understandable but also not misleading. Um, One of the things that I think is really important is an understanding of as you say, we're drowning in data, but you've got to understand what data you don't have and also understand what biases are present in the data that you do have. And they can be really quite subtle. And I think we've seen that particularly with a lot of amateur analysis of COVID data over the last few years and the misinformation, disinformation and lack of understanding over how you know there is a lot of information out there and a lot of it is publicly accessible, which is definitely a good thing. But without understanding the fundamentals of uh, statistics and data analysis, you can end up drawing all sorts of incorrect conclusions from it. And that's a very 
visible example of a, a bigger trend with any kind of data set is that you've got to have those those sort of higher level reasoning skills to really think about what the data is and isn't telling you. Um, as I, I mentioned earlier, you know we've we've had this sort of big growth in the ICW's data analytics community and the data analytics certificate that we're offering, and I think that. You know, there's a lot of different ways of getting involved in the data marketplace without necessarily being somebody that's you know cleaning data sets and connecting them and doing you know down at the metal data analytics. Anyone got any final thoughts on on data and how uh, how data is going to continue to shape our lives? Well, I mean, I'm going to talk about it from the public sector perspective, I suppose. Really, I mean, the, there's a whole government data strategy coming along, and actually one could see you know coming down the line which is something that's been sort of developed is is actually you're filing your data with government once so for example if you think about a set of company accounts that they actually just get filed with government once and every department every interest in that whether it be on the tax side or or just the company's house information they will be able to analyze that data from one source so that should be uh, less of a burden on the you know, the company or actually filing those accounts, for example. But what we would want to see, and as you said, Michael, there's absolutely a plethora of data. What we want to see is government using that data sensitively, carefully, but actually for the good of d- and delivering better policy as a result of having that good data. I mean, it's just fundamental in in the in the sustainability world. You, you just can't possibly understand what what you're doing to the world. Or, or its inhabitants without the huge amounts of data and how do you use that across supply chains? How do you build it into your decision-making? Where do you get it? What shape is it in? Try mapping your carbon footprint without having access to the, the digitisation of data. You know, I mean, it just it just is an impossibility. Philippa, any final thoughts from you on this? Oh, I think um, data and financial services could be could be a very long discussion as well. But I think, as as Richard said, as Alison said, it's it's an industry where being on top of the data that you have as you continue to accrue more and more of it is an ongoing challenge. So, for banks, insurers working with thirty-year data sets and trying to make sure the quality and integrity of what you're you're working with in terms of your old data is as good as the new data that you have is an ongoing challenge. Thank you, Philippa. Let me thank all of my colleagues for their insights today. I think one of the challenges with forecasting is that it's almost always wrong, at least in terms of making a prediction of the future and attempting to put a timescale to it. It will probably come to pass at some point in time, but We just can't say when. So we hope you've enjoyed all of these thoughts. We hope that they are useful in whatever you do, in whatever sector of the economy you work in. But we look forward to supporting you in the years ahead. Remember, most of this information that we've talked about today can be seen in some way, shape or form at ICAW.com. So thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to hear more from ICAEW, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.